Let us pray. Good and gracious God, your word reminds us that as the rain and the snow fall from heaven and do not return there, but rather water the ground, causing it to sprout forth and grow, so shall your word be, which comes down on us from on high, never returns to you empty or void, but always accomplishes that which you purpose and succeeds in the thing for which you sent it. We ask now, Lord God, that you would speak to us a word of challenge and conviction, of liberation and freedom, of hope, power, promise, and ultimately joy and transformation. Uh, all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My scripture lesson for today that I will take as my uh, text for the sermon is the first lesson from Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. My sermon title for today is A Matter of Life and Death. A Matter of Life and Death. The first five books of your Bible are often referred to as the Torah, meaning law or teaching, and or the Pentateuch, which is a Greek word meaning five scrolls. They are the cornerstone of the Jewish faith and traditionally have been regarded as having been authored by Moses. These books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They tell the story of God's chosen people, Israel, from the creation of the world to the brink of their entry into Canaan, the promised land. Traditionally, the Old Testament has been divided into three overarching sections, namely the law, the prophets, and the writings. These first five books constitute the law. More specifically, the very word Deuteronomy is Greek, meaning second law. So its theme is the renewal of the covenant between God and Israel. Over time, you see, the people's observance of God's law had become slack. So Deuteronomy is really a reiteration and to some extent a reinterpretation of God's law revealed earlier in this same Torah. That's why, for example, there is a second listing of the Ten Commandments found in chapter 5 to reiterate and perhaps reinterpret the earlier list from Exodus chapter 20. The history which follows Deuteronomy in the books of Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, all flows from the framework and the perspective of Deuteronomy, namely a theology which says essentially that if you are faithful and obedient to God, God will reward and bless you. And if you are unfaithful and disobedient, God will punish you and curse you. Finally, Deuteronomy is really Moses' farewell address to the people of Israel. He has led them from the exodus out of Egypt through 40 years of wilderness wanderings and now up to the river Jordan, whereupon they will cross over and conquer the promised land of Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, which God had promised their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are about to walk into their blessing, cross over into their God-given destiny. And Moses, who is not allowed to cross over with them, not only bids them farewell, but also reminds them of all that God has done for them, all God has promised, provided for them, and from where God has brought them. This morning's section of text could not be more clear, stark, and upfront. Verse 15, 
See, God says, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. Verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. This foreshadows the same direct challenge that Joshua will posit to the people at the end of the very next book, which bears his name, when he says, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the idols and false gods your ancestors served or the Lord. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. It's all very clear cut, very cut and dry, black and white, very either or. No room for shades of gray or ambiguity. Verse 16 elaborates on the first choice, life and prosperity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God by loving Him, walking in His ways, and observing His commandments, then you shall live and become numerous, and God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. Verses 17 and 18 elaborate on the second option, death and adversity. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray and bow down to other gods and serve them, then I declare to you that you will perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing over to possess. After presenting this stark all-or-nothing choice, Moses concludes with an exhortation towards the former choice in verses 19 and following. Therefore choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving God, obeying Him, holding fast to Him, for that means life and length of days, so that you may live in the promised land. Back in antiquity, the list of false gods or alluring pagan idols just alluded to by way of temptation with exotic-sounding names is long indeed. Baal, Asherah, Chamash, Dagon, Molech, Ishtar, Rimon, and Zeus, just to name a few. We, of course, are too modern, sophisticated, and monotheistic to be tempted by such polytheistic tomfoolery. But we have our own golden calves, don't we? Beauty, fame, popularity, money, celebrity, possessions, Sex, alcohol, big houses, fancy cars, athleticism, sports on all levels from peewee to professional, knowledge, health, family. An idol or a false god, my friends, is anything, even otherwise good things, which occupies the top spot of allegiance in your life, a place God alone demands to dwell. There is a lot more out there other than sex, drugs, and rock and roll to misguide you and lead you astray. I sense that Moses, at the end of his life's journey, having gotten the people thus far, 40 hard, precarious years removed from slavery in Egypt, aware of the new dangers which will accompany the stability of a secure lifestyle, desperately pleads with the people to remember, to remain faithful, to stay on the straight and narrow. If 
I may presume to read your mind right now and take a stab at what your mental protest is, even at this very moment. If only it were that simple. If only it were that clear-cut. If only there were angels with flowers and rainbows over here and gargoyles with burning sulfur over here. But life is a lot murkier than this simple presentation. It's a lot foggier of a landscape than that. Oh, if only wisdom were this clear and willpower that strong. Just look at Jesus' words today in our gospel from the Sermon on the Mount. It might be possible to choose not to murder and not to commit adultery. But who among us chooses never to get angry? Never to insult someone. Never look lustfully at another person. This theology of Deuteronomy that God inevitably blesses faithfulness and curses disobedience will be seen in the future to be short-sighted and actually implausible. Indeed, the later wisdom writings in the Bible will openly question such a simple, straightforward correlation. Ecclesiastes, for one, will conclude, I saw that under the sun the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to people of skill, but rather time and chance happen to them all. Does anyone in here know what it feels like to be victimized by time and chance? Beset and beleaguered, not by any demonic foe, but by the impersonal forces of time and chance. You did your level best, but time and chance had the final word. Furthermore, the entire book of Job testifies against Deuteronomy's simple way forward by depicting a man who suffers precisely because he is so faithful and obedient and righteous, while those who prosper around him are none of the above. Generations out, further even, the Apostle Paul will effectively dismantle this Deuteronomic point of view by pointing to the monstrous nature of what you and I call sin. Sin is not something we choose merely not to do and then get on with our blessed lives. No, rather sin is a powerful monster which crushes any sense of free will we might think that we have. The immortal passage from Romans chapter 7 gives voice to what we all feel in our deepest struggles. Paul writes there, I do not understand my own actions. This is Paul, by the way. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is actually what I do. I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. So then, I of myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Of my own capacity, 
left to my own devices. I cannot successfully choose between life, blessings, and prosperity and death, curses, and adversity as presented here in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Like Paul, I want to, I just can't. Because of the nature and the power of sin, I will choose wrongly almost every time. Oh, wretched people that we are, who will deliver us from our body of death? We need deliverance. We need a deliverer. Anybody know where I'm going next? It's no secret. It's really the only place to go. The Apostle Peter said it best at the end of John chapter 6 when he uttered famously, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Jesus, you see, is dispirited there in John 6 because many of his followers have abandoned him because, and I quote, his sayings are too hard. His teachings are too difficult. Kind of like in today's gospel lesson from the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus then looks at the twelve, I presume with fear, sadness, and anxiety in his eyes, and says, do you also wish to go away? Peter responds, as usual, on behalf of the whole group, Lord, to whom shall we go? Translation, where are we going to go? I need deliverance. You need deliverance. We need deliverance. The human race needs deliverance. I can't choose life. You can't choose it. We would like to, but we can't. We're too sinful. It's out of our hands. Where are we going to go for deliverance? Makeup? Beauty supplies? Botox? Expensive clothes? Expensive jewelry? Nice houses, fancy cars, big screen TVs, plush recliners, books, degrees, jobs, hobbies, bowling, football, entertainment, family, friends. There might be a time and a place for things on that list, my friends, but the number one spot is not reserved for any of them. None of them deliver you from your pain, your anguish, your guilt, and your shame. None of them can deliver you from despair, hopelessness, panic, fear, or confusion. None of them can deliver you from sin or even from time and chance. Only one person can do that. His name is Jesus the Christ of Nazareth. When Paul despairs and lashes out with his question, O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He immediately answers his own question, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go, Lord? We'll go to you. We'll stay here with you. Immediately after Peter says that, do you know what the first words are out of Jesus' mouth? Did I not choose you? Interesting, huh? In the midst of Deuteronomy, you have John. In the midst of Moses, you have Jesus. In the midst of being told to choose, you are chosen. I might not be able to choose right, but I'm chosen. 
you might not be able to choose right, but you're chosen. And when are you chosen from? According to the book of Ephesians, from before the foundation of the world. Which means before God created Adam and Eve, God chose you. Before God said, let there be light, He chose you. Before the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep, God chose you. Before you despair of choosing life, my friends, know that life has chosen you. Before you lament of choosing blessing, know that blessing has chosen you. Before you give up hope of choosing prosperity, know that prosperity has chosen you. Know that even as verse 20 in our text today encourages you to hold fast to the Lord your God, know that He is holding fast to you. Sometimes you hold fast to Him, sometimes you hold loosely. Sometimes you don't hold it all, purposefully or inadvertently letting go of His divine transcendent grasp. But He never lets you go. Jesus says of His sheep, No one shall snatch them out of My hand. Oh, He will grab you by the hand and lift you up out of the consuming waters just as assuredly as He did a sinking Peter overwhelmed by the waves. Something's got a hold of you, all right, and it won't let go. Something's got a hold of you and it's the most powerful force in the universe. Something's got a hold of you, my friends, and it's divine love and holy transcendence. Something's got a hold of you, and it's your creator, your redeemer, and your sanctifier. Oh, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. Make no mistake about it, my friends. There is something to be said for faithful discipleship, for following Christ, injustice and righteousness but it always occurs always 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 in the context of God's faithfulness of God's having chosen you and of his tenacious grasp on your life which will never let you go and the knowledge of that is a matter of life and death amen